Good morning again. Um, good morning again, everybody. Glad that you were here. Today we're going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews. So please open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, we also have Bibles on the back table. If anybody needs a Bible, doesn't bring a Bible, has a friend who needs a Bible. So, yes, this is good. The book of Hebrews has been so awesome. And last, last time that we were in Hebrews, we were in Hebrews chapter 7, which was all about how Jesus Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And we learned um, what that meant. And just a quick part of the introduction here, Hebrews uh, 7, 11, it says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical um, priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? But we know that perfection was not attainable through the Levitical priesthood. And we learned about that in Hebrews chapter 7. And Hebrews uh, chapter 8 begins with a statement where he says, now the point in what we are saying is this. Well, you have to know what he said before that to understand what he's saying now, because the point of everything that he had just said is what we are about to look at today. And chapter 8 is all about how the covenant that Jesus mediates is, is greater. So chapter 7, we learned about how he is, Jesus is a greater high priest than all of the high priests. Well, now we're going to learn more about why. Well, it's because his priesthood is greater and the covenant that this priest mediates is greater. Um, and we're going to see that today. Hebrews 8, 6, it says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Um, so that's just a quick introduction of where we're going to be at today. So now we are going to read a large portion of Hebrews chapter 8. We will pray again and then we will dive in. This is the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this special revelation that you have given us, God, in this book. 
And God, I ask that our hearts would be quick to hear your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to start back at verse 1. Now the point and what we are saying is this, which we kind of already talked about in the introduction. We have such a high priest. The priesthood of Christ is sufficient. Matthew Henry says, what we have in Christ is we have a high priest, and such a high priest as no other people ever had. No age of the world or of the church ever produced. All others were but types and shadows of this high priest. All of the priests of the old covenant, they all were types and shadows pointing us to the one great high priest that we all need for salvation, and that is Jesus Christ. And we see here that Jesus, continuing in verse 1, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. And we talked about this last time in chapter 7 a little bit, but just how the things in the heavens are greater than the earthly things. The priests on earth served And what we're going to see later, they served in copies and shadows of where Christ served. Christ serves in the heavens, in the true tent, it says, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Continuing in verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. So, it's necessary that Christ would have something to offer as well. And well, the Bible has a lot to say about what Jesus Christ has offered us. In Hebrews 7.27, it says, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for His own sins, and then for those of the people. Since He did this once for all, when He offered up Himself, Jesus, our high priest, offered up Himself for us. And notice that language there, it says once for all. It was a one-time offering up. It was a one-time sufficient sacrifice that would pay for our salvation, pay for our sins. Hebrews 9, 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, hear that language again, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews 10.10, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That language again, once for all. Praise God. We continue now in verse 4. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Now, he's going to talk about, again, the priests of the old covenant, the Levitical priests, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, 
there would have been no occasion to look for a second. We're going to pause here for a little bit. If that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So he's making it clear the first covenant was not faultless. Because if it would have been faultless, then we wouldn't have had to look forward to another covenant. Matthew Henry has some awesome comments on the Old Covenant. This is regarding the Old Covenant. He says that the Old Covenant was not found faultless. Because it just said that right there. It was a dispensation of darkness and dread tending to bondage. And this, I really like this part. He says, and only a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. <laughs> huh, that's good. It was perfect in its kind and fitted to answer its end. But it was very imperfect in comparison to the gospel. So he's not saying that it was perfect. He's saying it was, it was, it was what God intended for that time. But compared to the gospel, it's so incomplete and imperfect and insufficient compared to the gospel times. Matthew Henry also says regarding the old covenant, it's decayed, it's growing old, and it's vanished away. It's antiquated and canceled. It's out of date and it's of no more use in gospel times than, a, than the use of a candle when the sun has risen. You know, go into a bright field on a sunny day and light a candle. You won't even notice it's there because the sun is shining. And it's just so clear that now we are in the times of the gospel. There's no more need to look back because we are now in the times of the gospel. And we're not saying that the old covenant was, um, that it had no significance. We're saying that it has great significance in pointing us to Christ. So we love our Bible. We read the whole Bible. We love our Old Testament and we love the old covenant. We go and we look to it and we look to it and we see it's pointing us to Christ. So And now, the writer of the Hebrews is going to quote a massive passage from the Old Testament, specifically quoting from Jeremiah 31, 31, where Jeremiah is, is prophesying and speaking forth about the new covenant. So the writer of Hebrews is seeing this, and he's going to quote all the way from Jeremiah. Because, and we're going to talk about this, but, you know, before we move forward, but, you know, God wasn't up in heaven noticing that the Jewish people were breaking his covenant and breaking all of his commands and thinking to himself, man, what are we going to do about this? This first plan isn't working. Maybe we should come up with a new plan. Um, that's not what happened because we know the Bible says that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The gospel and salvation in Christ Jesus was always God's plan. And it's important to remember that God is the one who, God is the one who, who, who acts first. This was God's plan. I was going to say this for the end, but it's such a good quote. We might use it now and use it again later. But Matthew Henry, regarding the new covenant, says that um, it's God's covenant. His mercy and love and grace moved for it. But then when I first read this, I thought there was a typo because he says the same thing two times and he does it on purpose. His wisdom devised it and his son 
purchased it. His wisdom devised it, and His Son purchased it. This salvation story was God's idea. It was God's idea to save us from the very beginning. And that's also why we chose Ephesians to be in our liturgy today. We can read it again, Ephesians 1, 5 through 10. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Well, that you can't go before that. You can't make yourself appear before your predestination, before your existence, before your creation. God's the one who acted first. God acted first. He acted first in our salvation. He acted first in creation, you know. And it's, it's, it's all for the glory of God. That's what's so amazing about it is, is when you really see it and understand it and see what the Bible says, it, it, it's all for the glory of God. And it's, it's, to, it's, to, it's for us to be humble, you know because our salvation wasn't, we didn't work it up. It was all a work of God. And that's, we're just getting a little introduction to this new covenant, because this new covenant in Christ is salvation through Christ. So we're going to read this, and then we're going to go into it. So uh, Hebrews 8, 8. For he finds fault with them When he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. So interesting, way back in the Old Testament, he's already talking about a new covenant. I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I show no concern for them, declares the Lord. Also an interesting point. He's making it clear that they did not continue in His covenant. And it's, it's just interesting. I mean, the Jewish people, they had more special revelation than anyone. They had like fire falling from heaven. They had prophets. They had all kinds of signs and wonders. The oceans are splitting apart in front of their face. God's taking them out of Egypt. They had all the special revelation in the world. If any generation should have been able to do it, it would have been that one. So how much clearer is it to us there's no way we can make it without Christ. There's no way we could save ourselves or think that we can obey God's commands apart from God giving us strength to serve Him. And that's one of my favorite parts of the application of today's um, uh, sermon is, is how the Holy Spirit is the one who works in our hearts and gives us strength to even obey God's commands. But that's at the end. <laughs> Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And this, is, this sounds amazing. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Amen. That sounds amazing. I want to be in that covenant where my sins are remembered no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. That was uh, verse 13 right there at the end of chapter 8. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. What is becoming obsolete, growing old, is ready to vanish away. So, Without question, the old is vanishing away because now Christ has come.
1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. And it's the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I, I like that verse, and I like that language, and I put it in there, at the proper time. Christ came at the proper time that God appointed. This, Like we've said from the beginning, and we're going to continue to say, this has been God's great plan of redemption. I also have a good quote here today from John Owen. That besides the covenant made with their fathers in Sinai, God had promised to make another covenant with the church in His appointed time and season. That this other promised covenant should be of another nature than the former and much more excellent as to the spiritual advantages to them who were taken into it. God in His infinite wisdom gives proper times and seasons to all His dispensations to and towards the church. End quote. <laughs> A quote from John MacArthur here. By its nature, the covenant of the law was primarily external. The old covenant was primarily external, but this new covenant is internal. It's a work of the heart. It's a work of the Spirit. We're going to read another passage because now we're talking about the new covenant. We're thinking about the new covenant. And in John Owen's quote, he talked about how those in the new covenant have spiritual advantages. And it's like, well, what's, what's he saying there? A lot of commentators make the case that, you know, we have like more almost than the old covenant, but people, and, and, but the point they're making is, is the work of the Spirit, because we know in the Bible, in the book of Acts, and in all of the New Testament, and Jesus even said himself, you know, I'm going to leave so you can have the helper, and that's the Spirit, and that's what we're going to focus on for the rest of this day is the work of the Spirit, and I want to read from Ezekiel 36. I'm sure you've all heard it because it's, I would imagine it's famous because it's, so, it's such an amazing text from the Old Testament where he talks about the new covenant and you hear this language of the heart of stone being taken out and it's incredible. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This sounds so much like what we read here in Jeremiah. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The new covenant is, is salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and every believer in the new covenant in Christ has the Holy Spirit. I, I want to read one more uh, quote from MacArthur on that text that we just read. He says, The gift of the new heart signifies the new birth, which is regeneration by the Holy Spirit. That's why we're talking about it so much, because you can't really be in the new covenant if you haven't been born again. Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And I'm sure you've all heard the interesting, like, I don't know what you would say, but like, um, it helps make, it makes sense. But like, you know, I've always heard people say like, you know, 
Did you give birth to yourself? Like you can't make yourself be born. No, it's a work of the Spirit. The new birth is a work of God. This is still MacArthur. The heart stands for the whole nature. The Spirit indicates the governing power of the mind, which directs thought and conduct. This is what got me. A heart of stone is stubborn and self-willed, but a heart of flesh is pliable and responsive. The evil inclination is removed and a new nature replaces it. A new nature replaces it. When I heard him say that, I'm like, man, Lord, that's, that's what I want. I want, and obviously, you know, if, if, you, if you've came to faith in Christ and, and you know, we're a, a believer in Christ, God's, you know, we've been born again and we have a new heart, but it doesn't mean that we can't continue in our life to continue to be more sanctified and to, you know, I want to grow in my faith. I want to, yeah, I want the things of God, but I want God to help me want the things of God even more, you know? Um, I'm going to read some more Bible passages concerning the work of the Spirit, because that's what's so incredible about the new covenant, is, is salvation in Christ, and, and we have the Spirit. Every believer has the, the, the Spirit. Um, some different groups teach and preach that, you know, there's kind of like these levels of spirituality within the Christian faith, and you know, I used to hear things when I was young, like, you are called of God, and you are anointed, and the Holy Spirit is all over you. I would hear stuff like that. And then, what, 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 I, I don't think people think about this, but if somebody says that to a person over here, somebody over here is hearing it and thinking, am I not as special as that person? Does God not see me too? I want to live for God. Hey, over here, I want to live for God too. I want God to use me. You know, well, what's so amazing about the Bible is if you look at it and read it, it's crystal clear. Every Christian who has put their faith in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, come on. Woo! 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You can't be in Christ and not be a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And that leads us into application from this passage. Like all this talk about new covenant, new covenant, new covenant. But what does that mean? Well, what it means is, is you're saved, obviously, if you're in the new covenant. But now what do you do? We should be living for the glory of God. We should be seeing evidence in our own life of this work of the Spirit. You know, we should be seeing a new inclination to want to serve God and Matthew Henry has a commentary on um, Romans, and it, his Romans chapter 6 commentary, Romans chapter 6, is all about being dead to sin and being alive to living for God. And he said something in that commentary um, that just stuck with me, but he was talking about the new man, the new man in Christ, because, you know, we're defeating our sin through Christ. And he said that this new man is not what he was. He does not what he did. 
<laughs> and that just stuck with me. He is not what he was. He does not what he did. And I'm sure many of you can even think about your, your conversion from when you first came to Christ. I remember my dad used to share with me his conversion story, and I always remember him just telling me, you know, I just left all of this stuff behind because God had given him a new heart, and he wanted to serve God now. Romans 8, 9 through 11 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So that kind of settles that whole debate right there. Um, because you can't belong to Christ and not have the Spirit of Christ. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead <laughs> dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I also... If you notice, a lot of these, um, uh, the language in a lot of these passages today, we're hearing so much how God's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to give you His Spirit. He's going to take out the heart of stone. It's all a work of God. And what's so amazing about that is when it's all of God, He gets all the glory. And that's, that's the point, you know? Amen to that. Amen to that. Um. <laughs> that's it. I think, I think that's it. That's all I got. Um, before we completely close, I just want to. I just want to talk just a little bit more. Just that's the prayer of my own life that I would see evidence of this new covenant. We are in the new covenant through faith in Christ, and that's what makes us a Christian because we believe in Christ, and He's the only way to salvation. But as I was thinking about these texts and this passage of the new covenant, you know, I I want in my own life to see evidence that God is truly there. And that's what we should all desire for our own lives, that we would want to fight against our sin and that we would want to walk in the, in the new man that Christ has purchased for us. So be, be thinking about that this week and maybe as throughout the day that, you know, Romans chapter 6, it, it was so good. He's talking about how we're dead to sin and we're alive to Christ. That's what it means to be in the new covenant. We are now alive for Christ, to live for God, and to live for His glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You so much for this great salvation that You purchased for us in Your great wisdom. And God, I ask that You would help each one of us in this room, God, to be of... Um, to be used for your kingdom, God, to be used for your glory, Lord, that we would look to you and, and give you thanks, God. We want to give you thanks today for this great, amazing plan that you brought forth, Lord, in your wisdom. And we're just so thankful, God, that we get to be a part of it, Lord, that we get to believe in you and have faith in you, God. I ask that you would help each one of us to be encouraged in our faith this week, that we would when we're down or when we're struggling, God, that we would look to your son, Jesus, and that we would look to you, Lord. Thank you for this great salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.